Would you like predictable income secured by real estate? HBG Capital offers you the opportunity to invest in real estate that is built to be transparent for the investor while designed to be insulated against economic volatility. We provide investors an effortless way to diversify beyond traditional investment opportunities like stocks and bonds and even popular real estate. Our syndication and lending opportunities offer a high rate of return and are 100% passive, delivering truly effortless income. Many other investments offer passive income in the 4 to 6% range. Our opportunities have delivered fixed rates of return in the double digits since inception. Retirement accounts such as self-directed IRAs and self-directed Roth IRAs also qualify for this investment. So, if you are looking for an effortless investment with double-digit returns, then visit our website, www.hbgcapital.net. Learn more today at hbgcapital.net. Welcome to the Recession Resistant Real Estate Radio, where we talk about real estate, passive investing, business strategies, and so much more. I'm your host, Brandon Cobb, CEO of HPG Capital. Now let's dive into today's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. Today, I'm on this Finimize article that has the 10 dangerous myths about passive investing. And I want to react to this article and go through all 10 to tell you what my opinion is and whether or not this myth is actually true. And believe it or not, some of these surprised me. So let's jump in. Myth number one is men make better investors. Nuh-uh. Research shows that as a group, women are better investors than men. According to Fidelity's analysis of more than 5 million customers over the last decade, women outperformed their male counterparts by 0.4%. I don't know that I agree with this one because I don't think that 0.4% is enough of a variation to show that there is a distinguishing factor that proves that women are better investors than men. I think that it's probably pretty 50-50. Myth number two. Tidy dividends, referring to stocks, always promise uh, are always a promising indicator. So, uh, reality, it says dividends can be a sign of a healthy and profitable company, but they can also indicate that the firm has run out of growth opportunities and is returning cash to shareholders instead of investing in the business. I'm going to agree with this myth. Tidy dividends are not always a promising indicator. You will notice that, like large bulky companies like Coca-Cola, they do a dividend because they need to attract investors. And hey, dividends can be fantastic for people who are needing cash flow. If you believe in stocks and that's part of your diversification strategy and you've got some kind of edge to be able to understand, you know, kind of where that market's headed and get a heads up in the event that you need to get out. I don't think there's there's anything wrong with buying stocks for dividends. I just disagree. I, I, or I agree with the myth uh, that tidy dividends are always a promising indicator. I don't think that that's always the case. I think that dividends are designed to, you know, keep investors in and, you know, pay out cash flow. Myth number three, the efficient market hypothesis is always true. Uh, they're saying this is a big myth. The efficient market hypothesis states that all available information about a company is already reflected in its stock price. So it's effectively impossible to consistently beat the market. This is a huge, huge myth. It's definitely not true. If you read Warren Buffett's 
uh, uh, book, Snowball, uh, which is his biography, he actually pretty much disproved this. Back in the Benjamin Graham days and the value investing days, there were a lot of universities and astute organizations and uh, PhD scholars that were writing about this efficient market hypothesis that basically says that the value of a stock at any time, all the information is taken into the account and that there are no like outside variables that the market has not factored in. The market has perfectly calculated anything. And we know this not to be true, especially in Benjamin Graham's book, uh, The Intelligent Investor, where he talks about Mr. Market and Mr. Market being personified as this person that someday comes to your house and he's really happy and things are great. And sometimes he comes to your house and he's freaking out and he's selling everything and he's really just this emotional mess that doesn't make rational decisions. Warren Buffett actually proved them wrong on this because they had consistently invested successfully for over like 15 years at the, the creating these uh, far, far right tail end returns for investors consistently. And when the PhD scholars went up against him and Benjamin Graham, the odds of them being able to pull this off, they using their PhDs, they just couldn't calculate it. It was completely impossible. And so I do agree. I think this is a myth. I do not think we have an efficient market. There's always opportunities to deliver outside returns. Myth number four. Past performance is an indicator of future results. I think that a lot of people know this is a myth. Past performance is never an indication of future results. But I see people make this mistake all the time. They read the writing in the wall. They understand what it means. But my dad, for example, I sat down and asked him and my mom what their investing strategy was, what they were going to be doing. And part of his plan every year with his 401k is he just goes in once a year, usually at the end of the year, and he picks the previous best performing fund to put his money in. So he'll, he'll change and kind of actively manage his 401k. He'll decide like which fund it's going to go in. And he just picks on which one delivers the best returns last year. Which basically means he's thinking that past performance is indicative of future results. In fact, I'd argue that the best funds to probably put your money in are the ones that performed the worst last year over the last couple of years because now they're long overdue for a, a big correction. So I do agree with this myth. Uh, myth number five, the higher the risk, the higher the returns. This is definitely a big myth. There is a famous story that I'm not going to give all the details to, but you can go look it up. So I believe Kyle Bass, very famous fund manager, he is famous or someone's famous because I know I've heard this story from somewhere for literally buying a million dollars worth of nickels. Now, why would he trade paper dollar bills in exchange for nickels? Well, in this specific example, he noticed that the value of nickel, the actual metal element nickel, had gone above five cents, where it was trading for around seven or eight cents. And he saw an opportunity to buy these nickels. And I can't remember if he melted them down or whatever, because that's illegal, destroying federal property, which is your money. And he ended up uh, selling them. And he made a large profit off of buying nickels and selling them for their value as quote unquote nickel, which is crazy to me. It's genius because his downside risk was literally zero. He paid a million dollars worth of nickels, traded dollars for nickels, 
And all he had to do was just go re-exchange his dollars for nickels. And I think he made it just a whopping return on him, something crazy. So this is proof that the higher the risk, the higher the returns is a complete myth. There are always opportunities out there. You do not have to take a high degree of risk to get higher returns. I can tell you most people that hedge their risk have some kind of specialized knowledge in an industry. You know, for us, it's land. You know, we we hedge our risk by rezoning and taking land and force appreciating the value of that land through rezoning it, entitling it, and adding, you know, 50 to 100 homes uh, to that plot of land. So specialized knowledge can give you outside returns while taking less risk than what you would normally take. Myth number uh, five or six. Buying stocks is a quick way to get rich. Of course, this is a big myth. But again, if you look at the majority of courses that are being offered out there, uh, guys, like I, I see a lot of these big influencers, these big gurus, these people with these big following. I was actually looking at a lot of Andrew Tate stuff recently because he's made notable headlines on the news. And he, he sells this technical analysis course. He sells the st stock trading course, options course. He, it's like a real estate course. And I'm like, dude, you, you can't get rich doing these things. And he flaunts his fancy cars and codes and pretty women that he hangs out with, et cetera, et cetera. So it just goes to show you that in culture, in our, our culture, specifically Western culture, we are drawn to the get rich quick stuff. We're not drawn to the, hey, invest every single day. And over, you know, 15, 20 years, you can be a multimillionaire and retire. We do not like that. We want the get rich quick now. We want the girl. We want the car. We want the, the hot dude. We want the prestigious job. We all want it now, 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 now. Because we've got all these influence out there just shoveling stuff down our throats, showing us that it's possible when we're looking at literally the, the 1% of the 1% of the 1% of the 1%. I mean, it's just, it's crazy that we believe that we can actually achieve these things. So buying stocks is not a quick way to get rich. Even Warren Buffett, I mean, it, it took him so long to reach financial independence. The guy started investing when he was like 11 years old. I want to say he became a millionaire in his uh, mid-20s. So he had been investing for 10 to 15 years first before he became a, a millionaire. So it was definitely not a get-rich-quick scheme, and this is the best stock picker in history, one of the best stock pickers in history. So I agree with that myth. Myth number uh, six, you need a lot of money to start investing. It says, on the contrary, the reason to start investing early is precisely driven by lack of initial funds. It's easier than ever to start regular investing in small amounts. I agree with that. I think that this is a myth you do not need a lot. There are applications right now that will literally average up every transaction you make. So if you if you buy something for $10 and 27 cents, it'll, it'll round up to $11 and it'll take that additional 78 cents and it'll put it in a, a, a trading or a uh, investment platform of your choosing. You can like connect it. So you can literally invest cents on every single transaction and get started investing today. You've got applications that'll take a piece of every paycheck that you make and start investing that for you. So there are ways that you can get started right now with any amount of money to get investing. And remember, the eighth wonder of the world is compound interest. You want compound interest on your side. That's what has made Warren Buffett so rich. It hasn't been his uncanny ability to uh, you know, pick stocks, though he's good at that. It's that because he's been doing it for 80 years, time and compound interest is what made Buffett rich. Anybody can do it. 
very few are disciplined. Myth number seven, timing the market is the secret to success. You can't argue against the theory of this one. This this thing, no one can prefer perfectly time the market. I think we all know this. It's impossible to time the market. But how many times have you told yourself or heard from someone else, oh, you know, I think I'm going to wait on buying a house. Market's overvalued. I'm going to wait for a correction only to see values continue to skyrocket and then miss out on a ton of appreciation or how many times have you seen it? I, you know, I think now would be a great time to buy, but everybody's selling because there's blood in the streets and the news says that Bitcoin is, is over and it's never going to come back. FTX collapsed. It's the end of Bitcoin, right? Everybody tries to time the market. They wait. They don't want to catch a falling knife or they don't want to jump on, you know, the bandwagon that everybody else is on. So what's interesting and here's some great advice I heard from somebody on Raul Paul's network in regards to timing the market. This guy said, I'll never forget this, you only get one chance to time the top or to time the bottom. One chance to time the top or the bottom. If you see that you're getting multiple opportunities to sell at the top or buy at the bottom, then it's not the top or it's not the bottom. I thought that that was really great advice. That can at least help you tell kind of where you're at and whether or not it's a it's a real bottom or not. Uh, myth number eight, the more stocks or funds you own, the more diversified you are. Yes, this is a big myth. It says diversification can reduce your portfolios over our risk, and it's true. The more stocks you own, the lower risk of a single one bringing your portfolio down. That said, the type of stocks you own is arguably more important. I couldn't agree more just because you own 15 stocks in the technology sector would not go for that. You need to have stuff in the tech sector, the real estate sector, the commodity sector. You need to be well-rounded in all the sectors to get true diversification out of this. I'm a big fan of uh, Vanguard index funds because they charge very, very low fees and you get to invest in every business. The biggest problem with investing in single stocks is 99.99. I think it's like a excuse me, 100%, by the way, but 99.99% of companies eventually go away. Someone comes and puts them out of their business. I don't care if you're you're a blockbuster, there's going to be a Netflix that comes along, wipes you out, wipes you off the face of the planet. So that's why picking individual stocks can be so difficult because you can have a crazy good run, but if you're not if you're not on that company, if you're not on the trends, if you're not on where the market and the economy is going, you're eventually going to lose out on that. Uh, Myth number... Nine, buy low, sell high is always the best strategy. Every Thanksgiving and Christmas when we would go make ravioli, meatballs, and with our with my uh, Italian side of my, my dad's family, uh, my grandma would always say, you know, oh, we get to talking about real estate. She owns some rental properties. And she would say, Brandon, the best strategy is to buy low and sell high. Well, the reality is, that there are a ton of great companies out there and a ton of great real estate deals, a ton of great businesses that had already been established and they were technically expensive at the time. But if you had you waited, you never got a chance to buy a dip. I mean, they just skyrocketed away. Berkshire Hathaway, Microsoft, these are examples of companies that just kept on going. So don't think that Buy low, sell high is always the best strategy. Look for value. 
I don't care what the price of real estate does. I'm looking to buy deep discounted value opportunities. And the guys in the stock world that come and sort of pay attention to, you know, what's trending at the time and where they should move their money to. I always kind of throw this example at them, which is, you know, the S and P 500, you know, I think today it's you know, somewhere around that. I don't know, 20, let's call it 3000. It's called around 3000. It's been hovering between 4000 and 3000. And uh, if I have an opportunity to buy it at 2000, I'm going to do it every single time. I don't care what it's trading at. As long as I can get deep value and buy it deep enough and hedge my bets, that's what I'm going for. Uh, myth number 10, real estate is always a good investment. Uh, real estate can be a good investment. It's true, but that doesn't mean it's always the best option. That's because when interest rates are low, you can make decent returns from rental income. So, they say that real estate is always a good investment, and they say this is a myth. They're saying it's not always a good investment. I disagree. I love real estate. I'm in real estate. I own a lot of real estate. I am heavily, heavily, heavily uh, invested in real estate uh, versus the other options that are out there. But that's because I invest in things that I that I understand and can control, right? So maybe not everybody, uh, you know, real estate. I, I just disagree. I don't think that this is a myth. I think that real estate is always a good investment because it always goes up over time. I can't think of another asset that has historically always held its value. It's never gone to zero. I mean, even if like a tornado hits it and you don't have it insured, you still got land and the land is worth something. So I'm going to disagree. I think that I don't think that's about. I think real estate is always a good investment if you buy it right or you invest with the right people. I hope you enjoyed my reactions today to these 10 dangerous passive investing myths. Stay tuned for more great information on passive investing like this. We'll see you next time.